Welcome back, everybody. My name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And today I bring you Brie McCorkle. Brie is an intuitive energy healer, embodiment mentor, and spiritual guide. We're going to go so many places. We're probably going to focus on sobriety and spirituality and how that relates to pleasure. We're going to find out. And so welcome Brie to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very excited and honored to be here. You're so welcome. I, I'm happy to have you here because I personally uh, do not have experience with alcohol use much at all. And, and yet I resonate and most of my friends um, have a history of alcohol use or abuse or uh, alcoholism. And so it's so interesting to me. Um, that I feel connected to the emotional aspects of it, but not the, um, not the behavior itself. So I don't, I don't know for what it's worth. It's always an interesting conversation to me. And um, I'm just so curious for you, how you came to a place of sobriety. What was the story? Yes. yes. Well, I have been sober now. It was three years this June. Okay. Um, so that is my sobriety journey thus far, which has been, uh, you know, quite a few stories to share there. I yes. guess what I would share is that I, my, I came into an alcoholic family. Um, okay. I was born into an alcoholic family as an only child. My father, um, is still, um, pretty much still an active addiction. And it's something that has run through my bloodline. Um, at least three to four generations up um, this active addiction and this kind of the energetic piece that goes along with it, which is oftentimes, you know, there's like this worthiness piece, there's a self-sabotage, there's a depression. It kind of all comes in the same energetic thread. Um, so not only was I kind of born into this, you know, home where alcohol was being abused and there was active addiction and all the different things that go along with that, you know, where you're affected by your environment and being raised in that environment, but it also was coming in through my ancestry, through my DNA. Um, so that's, you know, and now the, when I, when I work with different clients um, who are either newly sober or want to get sober, looking at those different pieces um, is important. You know, is it just an environmental thing? Is it something that you've been exposed to? Um, mm -hmm. You know, is it just a, a really intense ritual that we're using to kind of cope or to numb or to feel or, you know, just because it's so prevalent in society or are there more, you know, other, other kind of outside forces coming through? Um, the DNA, your family line, your ancestry, you know, different things like that. So mine is a more intense journey um, because of what I bring in, in terms of the addiction piece, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Although I imagine there was a catalyst moment for you, a moment where you decided to stop drinking. Was there, was there one particular moment that you recall that you can share? So my drinking really didn't get to be out of control until I was in college. Um, that's really when I was away from home for the first time. You know, I was kind of out of that perfectionist, straight A, overachieving uh, 
role that I had taken on as an only child in an addictive home, which some of your listeners um, who maybe grew up in a home with addiction or um, that type of dysfunction, they, they know that part very well. I was out and that's where, you know, I had some new freedom and I was kind of coming into my own skin for the first time. And I had my, you know, my own place in my dorm and um, alcohol was a way that's, you know, it was a thing that felt normal. It was a thing that everyone was doing. It was a way that I felt like I could express myself and be me and find myself. And, and it felt very familiar um, and also a little bit dark and, you know, it started to take over and that I still, you know, it was one of those people, highly functioning student, got great grades, graduated, went on to graduate school, became a psychologist, still like drinking constantly, you know, waiting tables, drinking after work, but still became a mother, got married. You know, I was that kind of high functioning Mm -hmm. alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, the kind that many people wouldn't like, oh, she's fine. Like, you know, you don't have a problem. Like, no, everyone has wine. You know, life is hard. Like being a mom is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really... I think for me and so many of us, there was always this part of me that knew that there was like a dark side to this, yes. um, things that would happen when I was drinking, um, mm-hmm. parts of me that, and they weren't really parts of me. It was, it was really, you know, this thread being awoken and, and kind of acting out through, through the, the alcohol it was mostly wine for me. It was mostly, you know, beer, wine and mixed drinks, that kind of a thing. Um, but I always kind of knew that, it was different for me. My mm. drinking was different than other people's. Um, How so? What do you mean? It was just like one was never enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like this dance with darkness. And like, I wanted more. It was like this, this, yeah, like this, this, this dark energy that you almost kind of wanted to feed, you know, or you wanted to, this part of you that you, that you hated, you know, this part of you that you, that you were kind of despised and didn't feel worthy to really be, you know, like happy and satisfied this thread that runs through my family. And, um, so you drink to sometimes feed it or, you know, I just, I always would tell my husband, like if we had a wine cellar, you know, in our house, like there would be nights that I would, I would just continue drinking through bottle after bottle after bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I drink was never enough, you know? Yes. And if you're drinking to numb out on a feeling of uh, lack of worth. And then the drinking makes you feel less worthy Then I imagine it's this kind of endless mm-hmm. cycle of shame and, and feeling l- lack of worth that continues mm-hmm. the pattern. And so how do you, how do you stop it for you? What was the moment that allowed you to stop? Well, I think that's the point where, you know, I had been sober curious for a while. Mm-hmm. I started to really deepen into my spiritual work, not only for myself, but in my work in the world, doing some deep healing. And it, it it's like, I just, I just, it just became more and more clear every day that drinking wasn't serving me, that alcohol was literally pulling me off of like my life purpose. And I was just like repeating the same BS Mm-hmm. and like keeping that energy alive in my own family like the stuff that I had gone through mm-hmm. as a kid and like with my dad I was like no 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 like you're repeating this and and it just became very clear one day that was like you need like this is life or death yeah like yeah. you can't have it both ways I had tried to like okay I'm just gonna limit my drinking you know those promises we make ourselves like I'm just gonna limit it 
Right. I'm just going to have two glasses of wine. That's it. Or it's only going to be on these nights. It's going to be on the, you know, the weekend or just at the weddings. And every single time I would break that promise to myself. Yes. And then what happens, right? Then you're like, see, I am a piece of shit. Right. I am broken. I can't, I, I, you know, forget it. I'm not worthy of this, yes. you know, gift or healing or whatever I'm trying to give myself. And so I had a, I had a couple of times where I tried, I was sober curious. I tried to go without and I'd go right back on and yada, yada, yada. And then there was a, a one, one moment stands out in my mind. Uh, we were away. I only had, did I have two children at the time? I did. I had, my son was, I think three and my daughter was like six or nine months. And we went to uh, meet up with some friends from college and their son in Mystic, Connecticut, the Mystic Aquarium. And um, it was almost like I drank just as much as I always do, which, you know, probably five or six drinks over the course of an afternoon and evening, which for me wasn't a big deal. Mm. Normal. Mm -hmm. And um, but I ended up like blacking out. Mm. Like it's almost as if someone was like, OK, like mm. this needs to get really bad for yes. this to be a wake up call for her. Yes. Blacking out. And the next morning, I, you know, when I woke up, I was so hungover. I was so mm. ill. Mm. beyond almost like I'm like, have I been roofied? Like, what is this? But I think it was really just like a divine intervention. Yes. Um, but we were in a hotel room. And so I had to, I was getting sick in the yeah. toilet over and over and over yeah. while my three-year-old son was in the tub. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just had that out of body moment yeah. where I looked at him and he's watching me. And like, he doesn't really know and he's not saying anything, but I was just like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like this stops here. Mm. This stops here. Mm. Like I was my father in that moment and he was me. Yeah. And I was like, no more. Yeah. No more. Yeah. And I continued to be sick the rest of that day uh you know finally was able to shower get in the car and go home so much shame yeah but at that point it's like it's it's a sh the shame is this coat that you've worn forever so you're just like you ah, i hate myself for a little while until i promise myself i'll never do this again and then two days later what do you do you you think that you're normal again you think you can drink so you do but that time i was like no and I, it, it was like i said it was a divine intervention it was just mm -hmm. like this is it this is black or white there is no gray for me like either i i stop drinking and like i change I am the one in my family who changes this. Like I, it dies with me like this. I don't care what has to happen to me. Like yeah. what I have to burn through, how many dark nights of the soul, like mm -hmm. this is it. And that was it. I have not touched a drop of alcohol since. Yeah. It's brutal. And it's so brave um, to break those patterns. And I imagine it's many, many moments of not just witnessing yourself, not drinking when you were used to or accustomed to but the building trust back for yourself in other ways um other other ways that you could see you could hold yourself to something or commit yourself to did that happen where there were other little trusts outside of drinking that really meant a lot to your healing journey of coming back to yourself trusting yourself loving yourself feeling worthy oh so many no it's so true it's it's really whether it's the effect of addiction or a mm -hmm. cause of or or some piece of it it's mm. there's so much trust to be rebuilt yes 
not just in our relationships, but the relationship, like you said, with ourselves yeah. and realizing, like keeping a promise to myself. I mean, I think mm -hmm. before getting sober, I really, you know, was never able to really keep a promise to myself. And I almost, you know, even like something as silly as like, okay, I'm going to eat clean for like, right. you know, two weeks or I'm going right. to go to the gym right. or like whatever. Mm -hmm. And there was almost a part of me that like knew I was lying. Yes. As I was making those promises. And it was like, no, you can't, you don't keep promises to yourself. Like you're not able to right. because drinking shows you that's pretty clear. Right. So there was this part of me that I just doubted. And so I cannot tell you how sobriety has shifted that, that trajectory of my life in terms of being like, no, I, I, I can trust me. Look at this promise. Like, look at this promise that I have kept to myself yes. for three years going. And so if I can keep that promise to myself, what are other promises that I can keep to mm -hmm. myself? What are other ways mm -hmm. that I deserve to be taken care of, that I deserve to receive, that I deserve to be supported, like that I deserve to honor myself and set boundaries? I mean, it's it's like this catalyst for yes. so much uh, trust. And, and you're still married to the same person you were with before mm -hmm. you were sober. And so that relationship, because you're completely different must look completely different. So, uh, your, your partner is a man. Yes, he is. Okay. Yes. So he mm -hmm. has, uh, evolved and adapted, um, to your sobriety. That must've been a challenge though, too, just to navigate new patterns of interaction, new patterns of numbing or not numbing and mm -hmm. sobering in all the ways met metaphorically mm -hmm. and physically. Yeah, man. I mean, he's, He's a trooper. He is like the rock. You know, he he is an amazing man. But, you know, to your point, I mean, we met in college. Mm. We've all the same college friends. We partied all the time. Mm. Uh, his hometown friends partied all the time. Mm. My hometown friends partied all the time. Like, that's what we did. Like, that's what I thought life was. Mm -hmm. It was like doing the things mm -hmm. and then making plans with friends for the weekend to drink. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we lived our lives for a very long time, like close to what, like 11 years, mm -hmm. 12 years, um, no longer. Cause I'm going to be 40 this year and I'm just sober three years. So we're talking like 17 years of, of ritual and pattern and way of living. Right. Um, different. I was always the one though. Like my husband doesn't, he enjoys drinking. He enjoys socializing and having a drink. You know, he still will drink now. He doesn't really drink at our home. I'd right. say once a month, he'll have a beer, like, you know, we're grilling or something. Um, and that's, I feel safe with that. In the beginning, that was really hard. Um, but, you know, back in like our relationship, I was always the one that was like, hey, I got a bottle of wine. Like, hey, like, let's cook and have a bottle of wine. Hey, let's watch TV and have a bottle of wine. Like I was always kind of like the the catalyst or the initiator. Oh, and he was like, sure. So for him to go to being like a sober household for the most part, it was, it's okay. Cause he's like, I never really needed it, babe. Like I never really, I don't need it. I don't crave it. Like I just did it to be social and to be with you. And, you know, I enjoyed it, but it's, it's okay without it. So that part was, I guess, easier on him. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I would just, I found a, a, a entry that I wrote on Facebook or on my Instagram from when I was first sober <laughs> the other night when I was looking for a quote and uh, man, I mean, I went through, at least 10 to 20 dark nights of the soul, um, you know, just dark, 
depression, like the, the, the peeling away of old stuff and wounds and just like that deep healing process of getting all that out of my body. And, um, I mean, I, it was raw and rough and he, you know, had, he witnessed that all and and it was just stuff that he could never understand unless you're in active addiction, unless you understand what that's like. No, you know, you can't understand it. Um, Mm-hmm. And it changed our, you know, like one of the most powerful things about alcohol is like the rituals that it creates, um, how our society is so dependent on it and tells you that you need it to go to brunch, go to a wedding, go to a party, right. go to a cookout. I mean, it's literally like this glue of our society. And um, it's really bizarre when you stop drinking, when you see how intense, mm-hmm. like the propaganda. <laughs> right you know, you tell someone that you quit smoking or you quit crack or, you know, you quit whatever. And they're like, you're amazing. You're so brave. And you tell someone you're sober and they look at you like you have like three heads. Like, yeah. And it's hard to be potentially the only sober person or sober, sober couple at a party or an event. There's Mm -hmm. this uh, huge disconnect. And often I feel quite lonely in the experience, kind of witnessing everybody else seemingly having fun. Mm -hmm. And, and then me standing in my decision, um, to not drink. And in many ways, wishing there was a way I could bridge that and and get to that place of socialization and fun and engagement and freedom and looseness without it. But, but, but there's that the gap is too wide sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I just usually leave parties, um, Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's so awkward. Do you, do you have that experience you and your husband with the circles of friends and maybe family Mm -hmm. that you used to party with? And now Mm -hmm. if you're the only sober couple there, how does that work when the patterns continue for the other people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think in the beginning it was really hard and I almost knew that it was going to be too hard and I was too raw and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So like in the beginning, I didn't go Mm -hmm. to certain places because I knew I would be pulled offline. I would like have Mm -hmm. to explain when I didn't have the words. Like I was not fragile, but like I needed, I set that boundary and I know I needed that like sacred space to like to heal and do what I needed to do so that I could emerge stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like you, it's, I was laughing when you were describing it. Cause sometimes I'm like, God, should I just like, I want to just like, you know, pick up smoking again. Or like, can I get like flower cigarettes, you know, so I can at least like have something to like, you know, like something to hold or, but I'm like, why? Like you were saying, why do we feel like we need exactly something outside of ourselves to feel comfortable and to like yes. make a connection? Like that's so false. Right. And you Absolutely. see the illusion of that, but yeah, there's that, we have that human desire just to connect and to be seen and to be a part of a group, right? Yes. And um, you know, it is it's something it's it's something the, the energy of being sober and mm. watching people become intoxicated. Yes. is one experience and there's also an experience for the people who are intoxicated watching knowing a sober person is there. Yes. And I was the person who at the party like would constantly be refilling your cup. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't I wanted you to be just as drunk as me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you didn't see my sure. imperfections and you didn't see, you know, you weren't able to be like, Oh God, remember Brie last night? Like, what was she doing? She was gross. You know, I didn't, I didn't want that. So I want everyone to be on the same wavelength. So I think it is an interesting dance and I try to give grace um, to the people that are still in my life. There were a lot of relationships that fell away. I was wondering if you lost people along the way, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things you're like, won't everyone be so proud and happy of me when I'm mm-hmm. here, I'm sober? Like, no, no, they're not. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and the people who are uncomfortable in their own drinking, perhaps they're, they feel attacked. Yes. I mean, you're like, I'm sober. And they're like, well, my drinking's fine. And you're like, no, it's not about you. No one's talking about your drinking, but clearly it's an issue here that you need to sort out. That's on you. Um, I hear that from women who uh, experienced an extreme weight loss, for example, that the friends who um, are judgmental or perhaps leave that it really ends up being about the reflection on them, on themselves, um, about self-care and, and self-love and that it's rarely mm-hmm. about the person who's making the, the change. Yeah. It's yeah, just a reflection right. through the other people. Well, yeah. And it's important to know that. And that's something I share with my clients. It's like, this isn't about you. Like they're yes. having their, you're kind of just witnessing their own stuff, you know, and their own process. And you're kind of highlighting the part of them that maybe they don't feel so good about, or, you know, um, that's, that's, that's troubling them. But so it is, there were a lot of friendships that fell away and a lot of judgment and, you know, even just like support that you assume that you get from certain people. It's like the elephant in the room where they just don't talk about it and they don't acknowledge that you're sober. And it's so mm-hmm. weird. It's like, mm-hmm. why are we not talking about this? I've mm-hmm. never really had a problem from the beginning. I, I think it was like day 60 or something like that. I just knew like, I need to, I need to hold myself accountable and I need to be seen in my sobriety. So I literally came out, I think on day, like, I don't know what it was. It was like in the first couple of months and was like, I'm committing to a life without alcohol. Here's the post. Here's like my, my why here's the deal mm-hmm. because I didn't want to be able to hide and like wiggle out of it. Yes. And I just needed to put it out there so I could kind of set that boundary. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to do as much explaining when I saw people in person. Yeah. Um, one of the many but, benefits of social media is you could say, okay, it's in print. It's like writing a book mm-hmm. about it. You're like, I made a post. I'm yeah, holding like, myself accountable. <laughs> here it is. Like for me, for my accountability, for yours. Um, so yeah. So, you know, the friends that there's some friends that I hold really near and dear and so much love. And I'm able to be in a space now where it took, it took a while. It took at least a couple of years where I can now be in a space and still enjoy their company. Um, I don't know what kind of thoughts they're having about me. I'm sure they still wish that I was drinking and, um, you know, it might make them feel more comfortable. It might. And sometimes I wish, you know, we had that rapport of just being silly and doing that thing together. Um, but I know that it's not needed. I know that it's an illusion and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll invite in conversation about it if it feels right, if it feels, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're open to being vulnerable and, and talking as well. But it's like, I still love you. I'm still here. I'm even more me than I've ever been. I'm still a good time. Um, you know, (laughs) for the most part. And, (laughs) but it is, it's, it it is, it's rewriting these rules of society. And like, Mm -hmm. every time you go into a new situation or a new party or a new event, like you may come into contact with people who question you or don't get it or have judgments. But I find that like, if you can get really rooted and feel really good and like solid in your sobriety and like your choices. It's like, it almost creates this force field around you where like, I don't really have that many snags. Like I don't really have kind of issues come up around that because I think I'm really solid in it and who I am. Whereas some of my clients who are just starting in sobriety and really insecure and don't want to talk about it and don't want to explain. And like, we'll take a drink if someone offers it to them, you know, it's, I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we can attract more of that in Mm -hmm. don't have that firm kind of energetic, 
um, boundary around us, you know, so. And I imagine if you're not numbing out as much that you're, then you're feeling more and in feeling more that comes with the, you know, the joys and the high highs, but also the low lows. Cause you mentioned darkness. So mm-hmm. even though you're sober, I'm sure there is still that, that darkness. I know for me, I feel that I live in a place where I resonate with the, with the, with the darkness more than I resonate with this high vibration that happens at mm-hmm. parties that feels inauthentic given mm-hmm. what's going on in the world. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just wondering how you've been able to navigate the, the extra feelings and the extra emotion that I'm sure comes with the lack of numbing out. Yeah. Well, man, what a great opportunity and invitation we've been given these last two years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All the numbing techniques, right? Right. Well, I'm like, okay, so I'm, you know, newly sober, Mm -hmm. especially when the pandemic started, I was what, like a year and a half in Mm -hmm. and um, I have three children seven, <laughs> seven, four, and two at home. Oh, I, at home. <laughs> Everyone's home. I have my own business. We moved into this 200 year old farmhouse and it's all these repairs. Like it was just <gasps> like the amount of hairs, you know, on my chest that I've grown these last two years. It's incredible. Yeah. And it was just funny, you know, even joking around with some of my clients, I'm like, wow, we picked a real great time to get sober because man, can I tell you the amount of times that I just wanted to reach for something to drown out Yes. Like the intensity, the chaos, the noise, the hard, the pain of mothering in a pandemic, like being a human in a pandemic, being a wife in a pandemic, being a friend, being a daughter, being uh, an entrepreneur. Like Mm. I wanted to drown it all out so badly. Yeah. And yeah, like just acknowledging that, just acknowledging that feeling, that craving, that desire to like make it go away mm-hmm. and to have an escape is so powerful and and to have that rise in consciousness and just watch that. And the beautiful part is that I've now learned is that with any craving, you think it's going to last forever and we often give into it. Like I still do with like candy or chocolate. I'm like, oh, like I, I'm going to want that forever. I need to stuff 80 of those in my mouth. But what I've learned is actually the craving passes, that intensity passes. And I think like even in studies say, like it's like 90 seconds to t- like to two minutes. Like it's like, it comes and then it's, if you just like sit with it and you kind of, you don't stuff it, you don't try to hide from it, you don't resist it. Like if you just let it come and you just breathe and you trust where you are and you're just like, you know, tune into your five senses. What can I touch? What can I taste? What can I see? What can I feel? What can I hear? It's like, yes. it's like this wave that comes and it goes and you're like, yes. oh, I'm okay. Yes. Okay. I'm here. It, that's the same technique I use during a panic attack, which almost feels the same as this mm-hmm. deep craving for chocolate or sugar. I got to crunch something. I got to eat something. I got to numb this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sense of um, that you, you said 90 seconds, which is actually really good. I, I always thought it was 20 minutes for a craving mm. to release. So somewhere between 90 seconds and 20 minutes to mm. sit with that pain and then to move through mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and literally move through it. Um, for me, mm-hmm. I have to leave the house and walk to step away from mm-hmm. the chocolate or the chips mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the um, argument for the sake of argument or the mm-hmm. numbing out on social media scrolling, which I know will bring me down a rabbit mm-hmm. hole of another hour of mindless mm-hmm. scrolling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that 
recognizing those cravings in ourselves is really important. And it is a beautiful opportunity, but it's hard <laughs> to sit in it. It's and really just knowing hard. that it's temporary, like this is temporary. Yes. This mm -hmm. is temporary. Like, mm -hmm. can I just sit here? Can I trust mm -hmm. that I have what it takes, the strength to just sit here and feel this? Mm -hmm. Because that's where, like, when we allow ourselves to feel, it's like we're allowing things to come up and out. Like, it's like, can you can you let it come up and can you let it leave? When we resist it, yes. when we stuff it, when we try to hide from it, or when we pour more shit onto, you know, the wine, the stuff, it's like when then we're feeding it. Yes. and we're feeding it and it stays but if you can just sit and and be in it and and don't go down into the victim pit don't go into the wallowing don't go into the woe is me because then the grace can't find you but if you just sit like sometimes i literally whether it's i get a craving for wine like i did friday night when i was out with my husband so that was a surprise or i'm like feel as an empath and a highly sensitive person like how i get overstimulated sensory wise in terms of being home with three small children mm -hmm. like and not lose my shit it's mm -hmm. just sometimes about like i sometimes envision myself just like holding onto the soil or grabbing a tree and mm -hmm. i'm just like okay if i can just stay here i'm held i'm supported i trust i call in the grace the grace can find me here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go down into the pit of darkness i'm not gonna go into the victim martyr shit i'm not gonna go there because grace can't find me if i can just stay if I can just stay and like sometimes I'll literally lay on the floor and my kids it like breaks the, mm -hmm. the tension because mm -hmm. they're like, you know and and I just like hold on and I just mm -hmm. ask for grace I ask for a miracle mm -hmm. um whether in my mind's eye or like literally physically doing it um mm -hmm. that has been a game changer uh for me but again it's like you talked about it's that it's that trust it's that trusting that we are held it's that trusting in ourselves it's that trusting in something greater you know, a, a light, a love, a force, whatever you believe in. It's not about religion. Um, that that making space for that to come in and knowing that it can't do that if you pour in the substance. It can't find you if you go down into the wallowing and the suffering. It's like you have to be, mm. it's that trusting and that, and that staying grounded and that staying rooted. Um, mm -hmm. And on watching that happen, starting to notice those patterns of like, oh, wow, the hair, you know, the other night I was out to dinner with my husband and we went to this Italian restaurant. We hadn't been out together in a long time. We were sitting outside. There's a guy singing like Frank Sinatra. And I was like, I want a glass of red wine. Mm, so the music and badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and then that part of me, I watched it. Usually I used to think it was me. And now I know it's not me. It's just this part, this little addic addiction, like, you know, this little thread that comes down. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, you can have just one red wine is so healthy like you know it's delicious like what a beautiful ritual for you with you and your husband so romantic it was like all this chatter yes and i was just like but i i like it wasn't me and it, to be separate from it and just watch it like in the seat next to me i was like oh yeah you are making a lot of sense but like <laughs> <laughs> no like i i just know how this goes you know and so i'm just gonna like let you sit be at the table yeah feel how you want to feel. And I'm just going to sit here and breathe. And I'm going to order a salsa and eat like a loaf of bread with some oil and, uh, and just wait and see what happens. And if in 20 minutes from now, like this is still going on or five minutes, like we'll check in again, you know, so, and it moved through. Did you and say it, it out loud to your husband that you were having this craving mm -hmm. that this conversation you talked about? The yeah, like, I really want a glass of fucking red wine. Holy shit. And he was mm -hmm. like, well, I was going to order one. And I was like, don't, 
Please don't. Yes. Don't yes. do it. Can yeah. you get a Peroni? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care about Peroni. Can you get a Peroni? And it, but it's just, it's so humbling because I haven't thought about booze or had a craving in months. Yeah. And then there it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a different clothing, a different wolf, you know, sheep's, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like, yes. No, like, this is romantic. This is this. And I, we always have the power of free will and, mm-hmm. you know, power of choice. Um, and that's for everyone, but it's just like being able to notice it as a separate thing, not as me, not as this dark part of me, but just as this other energy that's not mine and just kind of watch it and just invite it to sit and to feel it. Um, and to call in the light is just, it's like my main go-to it's what has saved me time and time again. Yes. And is that easier to do? I'll say in daylight. Um, and that's just because my perspective is once nighttime comes and once I try to be in bed or um, in intimacy or in sleep, pretty much everything falls apart. My normal defenses Mm -hmm. fall apart. And so I, I find it harder in these moments of um, vulnerability. I'll talk about intimacy and sex for a moment for myself, that the normal grounding techniques that I use during Mm -hmm. the day or when I'm with people or when I'm out in public or when I'm doing things in service to others Um, or my exercise or my yoga, it works then. But then because of past traumas and these Mm. karmic patterns that that we live with, um, then it's harder to get to that place of grounding. And I often um, betray myself at those moments Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. night and darkness. And and then of course it it cycles. For me, my addiction is um, sleeping medicine. So I do mm-hmm. understand addiction and I haven't been able to sleep without it since 2001 due to mm-hmm. a trauma. And I'm terrified to sleep without it because I just know I don't want to face the, the mm-hmm. demons. So I know I'm throwing a lot out there, but I wonder for you if the nighttime is harder than the daytime or if moments of intimacy are harder to feel grounded given mm-hmm. given the past traumas that you described so answer your last question first so yes um intimacy is sober intimacy intimacy is challenging um for me um especially after becoming sober mm-hmm. increasingly challenging mm-hmm. um the day, the time of day, actually, I feel like the night for me with intimacy is the space where I actually could hide more. Mm. Um, it felt like a, like a cloak, like an invisibility cloak I could slip on and mm. kind of be half hidden, not be fully seen, not be fully exposed, not be fully vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like for me, the darkness was a way to hide mm. and make me feel safe, which is an illusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So what I'm, what I'm seeing, and I don't know if it's okay to speak for what I'm seeing, something that they're showing me for you is that to almost like to go in, I'm seeing this like purple light, this purple thread, um, coming from source divinity, the goddess, God, whatever you want to call it, but almost like there's this inner light that, that is coming in and almost going down like your shashimna, um, almost kind of like an umbilical cord. And it's like, there's this light this beautiful purple glowing hue that is there for you, that is available for you. Like 
that there may not be the light of the day. And yes, of course, at nighttime, like we're tired, you know, like mm. some of our inhibition, you know, we're just, oh, we're like at that place where we just want to crawl in and, and let go. And so when we're exhausted or depleted, um, it can be so much easier to, you know, say yes to something that maybe in the day we wouldn't want to, or to give in or to yes. not honor a boundary or things like that. But they're showing me that you do have access to this beautiful divine light going through your body. And it's almost like something that you can know is there you remember is there that you are supported, that you are held and that you can kind of turn to it and, and be with it as like almost like this inner nightlight um, that's there for you and it, it never goes out and it has never gone out and it will never go out um, to turn and be held in that light by this beautiful, it's like this gorgeous, it's like almost the color of the seventh chakra. It's like this beautiful mm. violet, almost like kind of an internal flame. Mm. Um, but I think that knowing where our quote unquote weak spots are, I don't like that term, but it comes to mind and kind of like being intentional around that. Um, how can I, how can we set up supports for ourselves that remind us of how worthy we are and how we can ground and how supported we are in the times where we need it most? Like, so for example, this is like a, a weird example that's coming to mind for me getting into bed and scrolling, mm -hmm. which is my default pattern, mm -hmm. makes me feel like shit, <laughs> makes me compare myself to everyone and tells me that I am like a horrible piece of shit. And then I also just like get into that numbing, like horrible place, right? So I know that's my default pattern. I know during the day that I am worthy of having a really beautiful bedtime ritual. Yes. And then I am worthy of what I love to do before bed. Well, I'd love to have a candle. I'd love to have some oils. I'd love to read a book or to journal or to meditate. Like those are the things that would really help me. That would feel like a sacred, like I talk about sacred bookends, like start the way we start our day and the way we end our day is so profound mm -hmm. and has such an impact on our energy and who we are and how we feel about ourselves and the rest we get and how we show up. And so I know being really intentional, one small way I can change my life is to shift how I go to bed. So how can I support that? Well. I plug my phone in downstairs. I don't even bring it up. Like yes. there's no way that thing is coming into my bedroom because if it does, I'm going to go on it. And I also set up like this little mini altar, you know, on my bedside table with crystals and oils and a beautiful, you know, flower and a uh, candle and a little journal. It's like, so I see that I go into my space and I see this invitation of who I am and what I'm worthy of and how I want to feel. And it's right there. Do I always choose it still? No, <laughs> but like the odds are better, you know, it's like 75% of the time. Yes. So kind of, you know, knowing those places where, where we feel vulnerable and sitting during the day, a time when we do feel strong and grounding in and ask like, what could this look like? Like, how could I, you know, really support myself in this time? And what, what kind of supports do I need? And what would feel really nourishing? What would feel really beautiful? Is there a ritual that could hold me here mm -hmm. that I could trust instead? Or how do I dip my toe in? Um, not needing it to be fixed or perfect, but just like opening to that kind of a shift or, you know, remembering that you're worthy of, of honoring yourself and doing things that feel really good has been helpful. Good. Yeah. It sounds like you have a beautiful practice and thank you for allowing the spirit guides to come through you with the imagery of, of, of the purple light, which I adore. And I will hug mm -hmm. on, 
tonight i'm having a hot flash can you see that i'm like getting really glowy and drippy i'm not i i'm melting in front you of just me. look fabulous you just you look talk. radiant <laughs> yeah. you, you were talking about the purple light and i was imagining it i'm imagining like this light coming down the crown of my head and all of a sudden i'm like i am Ooh. fire i am light i this light is heating me up so it was it was speaking to me um and so yeah something yes. off releasing something it was it was Bye -bye. yes so i'm i'm letting go some uh mm -hmm. <laughs> some past traumas and limiting beliefs i'm sure as we speak um and maybe you avoided the question purposely but about sobriety and mm -hmm. sex mm -hmm. <laughs> so for you is sobriety uh, is sober sex still like a, still a final frontier if you want to call it that it's it's well it's it's a challenge for for me it always has been so i'll i'll put it out there my listeners already know that they're probably sick of hearing my story but i'm just curious for you how sex has changed since becoming sober oh boy yeah um no it's still very much something i'm navigating um but i i do enjoy talking about things as i'm navigating them i i think we can lose so much wisdom and and you know intimacy when we feel like we need to be on the other side of something before we talk about it um mm -hmm. that's not my journey um so i'm very much in it i for me sex was alcohol was a lubricant mm where because i didn't feel safe ever being intimate really in sex it allowed me to leave my body it allowed me to escape i now know through the work that i've done in sobriety and healing addiction as well as spiritual work um that when we drink alcohol that's we actually leave our a part of us leaves our body a part of our spirit a part of our soul actually exits hmm. um out our sis system and that's why it's actually referred to as spirit um spirits alcohol spirits really i have um, no idea mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so a part of us leaves and that can also leave an opening especially for us who are sensitive or empathic for outside energies to come in and take up space in our energetic system but that's a podcast for another time that's energetic possession yeah so many people that i've worked with that are bipolar schizophrenic like yes they have the energetic possession yes and that's what's causing um one of the causes for what's going on so and that's why when you drink some people drink they literally black out yeah they don't remember because they're not there they're not there they're, they're gone wow um and sometimes the change in behavior a part of it we can see is because something else has come in mm. um so I literally would leave because it didn't yeah. feel safe to be in my body. Yes. It didn't feel safe to be intimate with someone for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Um but but that drinking is the way that I left. And so when I was drinking and I was having sex, I was like, you know, I thought I was like I was acting out this like wild woman, you know, breeze so sexual and empowered and fun and kinky and but I wasn't there. Like yeah. there was no real intimacy. I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was something that was not caused by addiction in my case or not caused by drinking. Drinking was like, you know, the pill or the band aid or whatever, so that I could have sex and be intimate, but I was really not there. If that makes sense. It does. It does. So now, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, having sex with, my husband, my partner who, you know, we've, and again, we've been together for 20 years. Yeah. 
um, it's, it's probably, I mean, it's, it's so raw and so vulnerable and then sometimes I avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, even though like as women and as mothers, sometimes we, you know, we just want to be seen, we want to be seen, but if there is underlying trauma, um, in sexuality or just being really vulnerable and being seen, like sober sex can be this feel like the scariest place to be in the world yes. to be completely naked and vulnerable, like really naked um, in all sense of the words, not just physically, yes. right. Emotionally, spiritually. Yes. Um, so it's something that we're still navigating. We're seeing a, a counselor again, who's amazing and does incredible work with us. And I've done work on my own trauma, sexual trauma, sobriety. I mean, not only am I, do I work as a healer and heal women and as an intuitive, but I have like four or five teachers and mentors that I work with mm-hmm. to help me heal, heal my inner child, pelvic floor work. You know, I mean, I, I do all of the things to mm-hmm. um, heal and see this little part of me that is still very much afraid and afraid to be seen. And um, and I'm I'm very lucky to have a, very grounded, loyal, stable, gentle, loving man who is still here. And, um, you know, there's been times where I had to tell him, like, I have to be the one to to initiate sex. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't initiate it because as soon as you do, I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. I have to be the one to initiate it. Mm -hmm. And if I don't initiate it, that means don't, don't, like don't do it don't try Mm -hmm. i've had moments where i've like you know like literally my body has gone into like fight or flight you know and i've had these huge reactions when he's just trying to be close or intimate with me Mm -hmm. and that's the old trauma coming up you know um we've gone months without having sex um and sometimes that's me hiding you know from dealing with things other times it's me honoring my nervous system my ear just ringing that happens when i'm getting a message about something so um, sometimes it's me needing to protect my own nervous system and my own boundaries and honor it. And sometimes it's messy and I don't know which one is running the show. Um, all I can do is really be gentle on myself and really love, you know, little Brie, um, and see her and hold her and remind her that she's, you know, loved unconditionally and is whole Mm. and is radiant and is, you know, um, not damaged and yeah it's a yeah it really is such an invitation for true intimacy and i have found that when i do share with my husband and talk about where some of the stuff comes from and things that happen to me or how it feels or Mm -hmm. you know we share with our counselor in a supported space and he's able to like the communication for us that is what is rebuilding intimacy Mm -hmm. Yeah. is that honest, safe communication. Um, and I'm not always great at it and he's not always great at receiving it, but we have been committed to continuing to hold space for each other. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I really look forward to a day in this lifetime where I can be my you know, full, wild, empowered, like divine feminine, fierce goddess, like lover, you know, and really be in that space with him. Um, I, I will say if even he's had one sip of beer, I, I still can't be intimate with him. Okay. If he's had any drinking, it's like, nope, 
can't like I, I can't. So in order for me to feel safe um, with him intimately, he has to be completely sober as well. You've set a lot of really clear, strong boundaries. I'm so glad you have a support system of many people um, behind you and with you in this journey. Yeah. And yeah, good, some, especially, yeah. especially your, your husband, um, who I'm sure is on his own healing journey and evolution, expansion in all the ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful love story. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for, I think sometimes we miss it, you know, and mm. I feel like sometimes I am this force, mm. you know, that just like can run him over. Uh, and he's just been holding so much space and ground for me mm. and solidarity. And um, I hope that in this lifetime, if not the next one, that I get to hold that space and be that grounding force for him as he changes and, you know, goes through this. Cause I feel like I've been, my turn's been really long. <laughs> so I appreciate you seeing uh, beauty in our love story. It's important for me to see that too. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm sure it goes both ways in, in, in perhaps many smaller cumulative ways from his perspective. You know, I know for you, it feels like one big um, ask, you know, that you've been asking of him, but I'm sure every day there's, there's beautiful gifts that you give and receive um, for each other. Here's hoping. <laughs> yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And now you hold space for other people to walk this journey of sobriety and um do you coach outside of sobriety as well or what what mm -hmm. is your I guess, yeah so i so sobriety is really it's more a part of my healing you okay. know, sobriety okay. has been one of the greatest um mm. spiritual awakenings having children and becoming sober have been the two catalysts for mm. i think uh my own spiritual awakening i do find that a lot of the women and mothers who come to work with me are either newly sober or sober curious okay. or um, live a life without alcohol. Okay. Um, I think as we go and increase our sensitivities, like there's certain things we find that they're finding that they just no longer tolerate or want to have in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, but the work that I really do for women and mothers is in a nutshell, really like guiding them back to their own intuition helping mm. them to remember their power mm. i see their blueprint i see their divine essence who they came in as and who like what they're like not only it's not a soul contract in terms of like you know a job or a purpose it's like who what they embody and what their true soul essence is and guiding them back to that so whether it's doing energy healing to release old trauma mm. you know accessing past lives to show you know when things are ready to be released and healed um channeling you know uh information for them to help them find clarity uh you know different uh rituals bringing in different herbs or oils healing ceremonies the work is always different because each woman is different and her journey is different but it's it's all about alchemy and healing and returning her to her remembrance of her own gifts and her own intuition. So mm. it looks, you know, I do most of my work distance. I'm starting to do some in-person work again, some different healing ceremonies um, and intuitive um, sessions for women and mothers. Um, nice. Working with some postpartum and, and 
and also birth and mm. calling in babies and um yeah it's 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 like the honor of a life to mm-hmm. to be doing the work as of right now that I'm meant to be doing and I don't there's no way that I would be doing this work if I was not sober yes and I, I feel like I could do a completely new podcast on the, on the work you do um, in your intuitive work and your healing work. And so I so appreciate that you came on today and shared kind of the, the backstory behind the scenes and your own mm-hmm. personal work that allows you to be of service to others in this way. Um, so yeah, I know it's a, a vulnerable uh, share and I so appreciate it because it's going to help heal others to, to, to see. Because I think sometimes people see us as healers and coaches and assume assume a lot, assume, uh, you know, that our journey was a certain way or our upbringing was a certain way, or it just comes to us easily. And it's usually, there's such a, a battle and a fight and a, um, fierceness and catalyst moments that are terribly painful to get us to the point where we can then, um, intuitively help others. So I appreciate yeah. hearing all that. Well, and that's why I resonated with you so much, you know, your authenticity and just being so open and the vulnerability. I mean, that's like, we're humans, we're all humans and Mm -hmm. we're all have gone through different trials and tribulations. And I just, I've always been honest and just, it doesn't, truth is just what I exist. It's all I see. It's all I know. And seeing the truth in every person and seeing the truth in every situation and, Mm -hmm. um, why, are we not talking about these things? Why are we not talking about these hard parts of being a human? Why are we, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I tell all my clients, I will disappoint you. Like, do not put me on a pedestal. I am a human just like you. I, you know, am here with certain things coming in and certain gifts, but it's a lot of it. My stuff has been through dark nights of the soul Mm -hmm. and through that's how, what has been the catalyst for Mm. my gifts and for how I'm doing the work today is because I've been through it all. Yes. You know, I'm not separate from you. We're all at the table together. Like let's help each other remember. Um, and I think that's really important and, um, that humility and, uh, seeing, you know, that's seeing the divine perfection and the blueprint and the essence of each woman and each mother and helping her to remember that, like bridging Mm. that gap. It's like, so Mm. I see, I see who, you are like in your perfection and and i and so i that's how i communicate with you and mm-hmm. and see myself and so let's all bring each other back there but we yes. can't ignore the shit because no. part of being here you know it's like a part of being a human and being grounded so i i really celebrate yeah. you and thank in you. your community for um for talking about that stuff because yes. important it's it certainly is and we have to keep mirroring each other's radiance and brilliance and essence uh for when we forget our own right yes thank you so this has been lovely and i hope we can continue the conversation again another time there's so much i want to talk to you about brie how can i find you well i would love that and they can find me on instagram i'm brie b-r-i dot mccorkle uh, my website is www.briemccorkle.com. And yeah, those are the two easiest ways to find me. And I, I really look at looking forward to connecting and uh, meeting with your people because they feel like my kind of people. 
absolutely. <laughs> I already have images of the of the people who I think will reach out to you, and um, that this is speaking uh, directly to the heart of them. So I'm I'm so glad for those of you who uh, are out there listening that this podcast episode found you at the perfect time. So thank you, Bree, and um, please reach out to Bree. I'll, I'll post in the show notes, of course, uh, all the all the different ways and all of Bree's links. And then if you'd like to continue the conversation with me, I love hearing from you in the podcast links. There's a free coaching call through Calendly. You could use that, or you could just DM me or reach me through email, pasha at pashamarlo.com. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider reviewing it and sharing it and um helping maybe others in your, in your friends and family circle to uh, tap into their deepest intuitions and knowings and um, maybe come to a place of heightened awareness and groundedness. So thank you so much, Brie, for being here and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye.